Our first reading from the book of Proverbs in the 8th chapter. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth, when there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth, before he made, had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading from the book of Acts in the second chapter. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make, full, make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is the gospel of our Lord. The word of our Lord, not the gospel, I apologize. But I invite you to rise and honor the gospel. John's gospel from the 8th chapter. The Jews answered him, 
Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old. Have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the gospel of our Lord. Next section of the Athanasian. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work that you have done to show us your love through your Son, Jesus, as he has died and risen again and has handed over to us the life that he won. We pray, Lord, that this time you work by your Holy Spirit. Remove distractions from our hearts and minds and open our uh, ears and hearts to hear your word, your love for us in Christ. In his name we pray. Words are always something that uh, hold a lot of meaning. Um, Think about it. There's a phrase, right, that folks use when something is kind of beyond comprehension, right? They go, my word. Where that started, I don't know. There's no history lesson to that. I just know that we say it. But then what else do we do when we want somebody to really believe what we're saying is true? Or that a promise we're making is really going to uh, happen? I give you my word, right? I give you my word. Now, that's only as good as your reputation, for one, because you may be known as one that doesn't keep your word, or you may be one that is known for keeping your word, but our words are something that we use daily and that we actually understand a lot of life by those very same words. So, when we hear Jesus saying something like, I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, they will never see death. Now, immediately, our minds run exactly like the Pharisees do. That doesn't make sense. I see people die all the time. I know they do. And so now there's this juxtaposition, right? Is his word true or is the word that we know true? First off, this whole conversation going on with Jesus and the Pharisees, this is the very tail end of the conversation. It's been going on for a little while. In fact, a little earlier in the conversation, Jesus let the Pharisees know that their father was the devil 
and that uh, they were liars, and that they were not living up to being the children of God as God the Father had expected them to. So it's been a heated conversation up to this point, right? It's happening right in the middle of a festival time as well in Jerusalem. The festival is called the Festival of Booths or the Festival uh, of Tabernacles where the Jews would gather together and they would gather in around the temple and they would celebrate all of the things that God had done for them while they were in the wilderness after Sinai. All the ways in which God would protect his people out in the wilderness, how he would provide for them, how he would forgive them, how he would take care of them, in all of those different settings, the way that he would bring manna and quail, the ways he would bring water, the ways he would bring light and the darkness and lead them. And so throughout this festival, Jesus had said things like, you want living water? I am the living water. I am the light of the world. And then finally, in this conversation, we get that famous statement where he just stops and he says, I am. And that sent the Pharisees over the top. But we'll get back to that in a second. Why is it important that Jesus, the Word of God, is God? I mean, the Word made flesh. See, we like to live our lives by our words, not so much Jesus' words. In fact, if you talk to anybody who's ever been outside of the church, they look at the church and they say, those words, those words don't apply to me. My life is going fine based upon my words, my desires, my intent, the way that I think life should live, and I'm a good person, and so as long as I take care of people and do okay and don't harm anybody and, and all of that, everything's going to be all right. And here and now, they're pretty right. There's a lot of great non-Christians that take care of people really well. There really are. And yet, that's not necessarily going to help into eternity. We, we can build our understanding of our existence as much as we want to based upon our own words, but if you weren't there at the foundations of the creation of the world, and if you aren't able to raise anybody from the dead, then it doesn't really matter how you conceive of the world. We can tell ourselves all the time, I'm not a sinner. The things I do don't hurt anybody. They don't wreck any relationships. They don't hurt anybody. And anything that I decide to do must be all right because it is put within me and I, I've just learned to live life by my word and my desires and that's going to be okay and everybody else has to be okay with it too. That's how a lot of the world likes to live, based upon their own word. There's a problem with that. Your word's not always perfect. See, when we live by our own word, all of a sudden we start to say enough words and we'll realize that our words actually do hurt people. They do actually break relationships and we don't always live up to our word and we oftentimes will break that word. Whether it's a promise, whether it's intentional or unintentional, whatever the case may be, none of us have lived perfectly by our own word. In fact, more often than not, when we're young, we think we've got all the words figured out and it works out great. And then we get a little bit older and we go, oh, I wasn't right. <laughs> and then we get a little bit older and we realize it again and again and again. 
that we don't actually know all the words, and we don't always have them right. Yet there is a word that's true. It's just hard for us to wrap our heads around. And that's kind of where all of the creeds come in. As today on this Trinity Sunday, we're trying to wrap our heads around this word given to us by God uh, that talks about a God who is triune, yet one God, and that it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet it's not three gods, but one God, not three lords, but one Lord, not three uncreateds, but one uncreated, not three infinites, but one infinite, all those things you already said a little bit earlier in the Athanasian Creed. See, people have tried to explain the Trinity for forever, and it, stop, just don't, don't. It's outside of our comprehension. And that's okay because if our God is a God that is fully comprehensible and understandable by our abilities, that is a really small God. Because that's a creator that's able to be understood by the creation. Now, he does reveal himself in different ways and he does reveal portions of what we need to know about him so that we would know who this God is, but we don't always have to figure out every little bit. More often than not, when we try to, it leads us down a path of some sort of heresy, some sort of teaching that isn't biblical or isn't scriptural, and that's where all these creeds come in. Every Sunday we see the uh, Apostles' Creed, right? I was one of the earliest. You can see portions of it in Paul's writings. You can see pieces of what the Apostles taught, and as we kind of combine them all together, we get this basic understanding of the Christian faith. And then somebody said, well, that doesn't describe it quite well enough. I'm going to fill in the blanks, and I'm going to tell you who Jesus is. And they were wrong. And so later came the Nicene Creed. And so the Nicene Creed starts to expand a little bit further out, and it says, let me clarify a little bit more who Jesus is. And then again, teachers came along, and they started to say, well, Jesus is like an amazing man maybe not quite God. And others would say he was all God, but he wasn't necessarily man. And yet we know from Scripture that neither one of those statements is true. And so then all of a sudden the church gathered together again several hundred years later and they said, all right, end all be all creed. Here we go. We're going to write up the Athanasian Creed. We're going to gather this thing together and put these words down so that there is no confusion anymore about what it means to believe that Jesus is God, the Father is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Yet there are not three gods, but one God, right? So they lay the whole thing out, thinking it's going to answer every question. And really, it's just a great tool for uh, pastors who have their kids in confirmation and they don't do their homework. And so we get to then hand it off to them to write the Athanasian Creed. And I guarantee you, if you've had kids that have not done their memory work in confirmation and have written that creed, they are a stronger theologian than most Christians. Because they get the foundation of what the Christian faith is in as many words as possible as it takes to try and give some picture of this completely ununderstandable trinity. See, that's what the Pharisees were having a hard time with too. How could this man standing in front of them be God? 
See, they knew what God was like. They knew God was scary up on a mountain. They knew God was thunderous. They knew God showed up in a cloud. They knew God showed up in smoke. They knew God showed up in lightning as he would show up in the tabernacle and on Mount Sinai. And then even in the temple as he would fill the temple and they would be so freaked out about the high priest going in to uh, say prayers to him once a year. They would tie a rope around his ankle and bells around his apron so that they could hear him moving. And should he die in the presence of this awesome, awesome and holy God, they could pull him out with a rope. They knew that God was powerful. So how could this guy standing in front of them claim to be God? How does that make sense? How is his word one that would keep people from seeing death? How is his word the word that honors God, the one that he calls his father? How is that even possible? And as Jesus continues to talk in that moment and try and bring to light to them the fact that He is eternal, that He was their creation, that He is the Son of the Father who's not trying to glorify Himself but giving glory to the Father alone and finally says those words, before Abraham was, I am. Which set off all kinds of fireworks in the Pharisees' minds. Because that's God's name. Right then and there, Jesus just said, I'm the one that was at creation. I'm the one that was there that formed light and dark. I'm the one that was there with the Father and the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters. I'm the one that was there when the trees were made. I'm the one that was there when the fishes and the birds filled the seas and the skies. I'm the one that was there when Adam and Eve were created. I'm the one that was there that watched Satan work his way in and focus them back in on their words instead of God's words. I'm the one that stood there and watched it all fall apart while loving it. And they picked up stones to throw at him. You see, if Jesus was just a man, they were absolutely right. He spoke absolute blasphemy. Unless his word was true. Unless his word was actually true, that he is God. That that man standing in front of them is actually the Son of God. The one that was there at the beginning, there throughout the entire time. The mouthpiece of God, the very word of God speaking to the children of Israel all throughout the Old Testament and up until that moment where God sent his son into his very own creation to take on his very own creation into his own divinity and stand there and do things that no other man could do. Fix broken things of his creation. Show what it looks like for life to come from death and for death to be eradicated, for evil spirits to be cast out and for healings to happen and for love to be shown to people that did not deserve it at any turn or at any point. As Jesus walked within the muck and mire of his very own creation, he got to stand there and actually show the heart of the Father. The fact that God, the Father, loves his creation and loves you. In the midst of our sin and trying to design our lives based upon our own words, we get to hear the very word of God that says, Stop. Just Stop. Be still. 
Know that I am God. I'm the one that's going to take care of you every day. I'm the one that forgives your sins. I'm the one that is here with you in the middle of the dark times and in the middle of the joyful times. I'm the one that is here in heaven, in the sacraments, in you, as you have been given the Holy Spirit. That thing that guides you, that person that points you back to Christ in the middle of things, and yes, guides you to do good things for others as well, yet through all of it, when your eyes and minds and hearts get focused in on what you think is right and where your word should be the guiding voice, the Holy Spirit says, stop listening to that word. Listen to the word of God. Listen to this word of God that says, yes, you're a sinner and I love you. I wrapped my word around you in baptism. I gave you faith to believe my word, not your own. The hard part is that that word's hard to hear sometimes because that word calls us out in our sin and we don't like it. And that's okay. We don't have to like it. Any kids out there? Have you told parents that you didn't like something and what was their answer? Okay. You still have to eat your broccoli don't care if you don't like it. It's good for you. God's word is good for you, okay? You may not like it all the time, and it's going to call you out, and that hurts a lot. Yet, the fact remains that his word is true. What Jesus spoke in front of the Pharisees is just as true as the word you hear in all of the scripture readings, and the words you hear in the baptisms, the words you hear in the confession, in the absolution, where you hear your sins forgiven, those very same words are the very same words of God where you hear of his love for you. It'll be the very same words. And that day comes that we do die, but you won't see death forever. You won't experience death forever. We see it here and now because this world is still broken. Yet Christ has walked in it. He has raised from the dead. And he has given you a promise. A promise that you have life everlasting. Now, in your hands. It's not something that will come later. In your baptism, you were placed into eternity. You were placed into this life ever after. And we know the promise and we wait for the day that it will be fulfilled. And let me tell you something. Jesus is a man of his word. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love which you have shown us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You created us, that you redeemed us, and you sanctify us all by your work. And it's beyond our comprehension and understanding, yet we trust it, because you have given us the faith to believe who you are as our God. And we thank you for being the one true God, the one who takes care of everything, the one who has shown us all things needful so that we would know of who you are for us. We pray, Lord, that you strengthen us to trust that, to live in that promise, to die in that promise, and then to live once again as you gather us back together in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.